speaking we have our next episode of picard episode four uh this is the episode the key episode that ties into uh the third season of discovery so this is why i wanted us to watch this series first before we went on to discovery because there's some things in this episode that i think while not necessary to season three of discovery do give you a deeper insight of what they're kind of talking about and what's going on with characters. I think it's good to see this one first. So at this point, after we're done with this episode, uh, I'm going to leave it up to Bob, whether we finish off the Picard series or we jump over to discovery and come back to Picard later. I would assume we just finish out Picard, Picard, but it's up to Bob. Um, Anyway. So uh, in this episode, Bob, you want to give us a quick like summary of what's happening, what goes on in this episode? So in this episode, Card goes back, or there's a flashback to when the Romans were being relocated um, and he's on this Roman relocation planet and he's got this relationship with this kid and these, I can't remember what they're called. They're basically like warriors. They're all these female warriors that have this kind of this code. Um, They like bind themselves to your cause. Mm -hmm. And then we flash forward, they're on the ship, they basically approaching the same spot and Picard beams down to find that he's not really welcome anymore. That there's a lot of like segregation going on. And the episode itself is called Absolute Candor. And part of what goes on with these, this offshoot of the Romulans or whatever, is they believe in total honesty and, and, uh, that that you need an, an absolute candor and so you're not covering anything up you're not soft pedaling anything you're just saying things the way they are um which is kind of interesting and uh and uh, the the one who was his friend when he was a, a child he sees as a, he now meets as a grown young man and uh, and the, the episode progresses from there but um jim what do you think of this episode overall I, I think it was it was a good episode. I actually, I actually liked it. I liked the uh, the the inner introduction of the the, the Romulans there and mm-hmm. and that society that kind of had been created by having to move everybody. Um, and then the 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 actor that that uh, plays the kid when he's grown up more and he he you know binds to his his cause and stuff and and overall I I, I liked it. I thought it was you know it wasn't really you know very action oriented i mean there was a little bit of a space fight scenes and, and a little bit on the planet but just overall i, I liked the story it was a, a good story so jim you was like more beheadings is that right jim that it wasn't enough for you more what <laughs> beheadings of people or do you think that that there wasn't <laughs> enough beheadings in this episode so that that would have added to the action well he needed to choose to to live 
<laughs> he, he, he lived I'm with his, well, he lived with his choice momentarily. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, we also yeah, see it, it was it was a good episode, I think. Yeah. You know, and it's 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 kind of a, assembled the the full team, I guess, at this at this point now. Well, that's what I was going to point out was the last episode. I said generally, kind of my problem with it. It was it was a good episode and everything. I mean, it was solid. It was fine, but I'm not really the go out and form your team episodes that they have in so many series like this start to become old. You've seen, okay, they're going to get this person. They're going to, Oh, now they're going to, there's somebody who is on the outs and they're going to join us and we're going to have this band of people. And that's sort of what the last episode felt like, which is all right. Like I say, it just feels a little old or like you've seen it a lot of times. This episode didn't feel like that. It did a good job of, of presenting a self-contained episode, though he did gain a member of his crew or whatever. And I thought it, this felt more organic than the last episode did with him finding crew members and things. Bob, are you on the same page with that? Yeah, the last episode was like the classic gather the team episode. Yeah, the A team, the A team together. This one, I think, the inner when they interspersed the whole thing with the Romulans. And they're sort of kind of racist mm-hmm. a bit. Um, I think that kind of made it less obvious, maybe. Yeah, it didn't seem like it was a, it really literally was kind of an extension of last week because he right. picked up yeah. the guy and Jerry Ryan shows up as 709, yeah. which I found odd. Yeah, just out of left field, all of a sudden it's like seven to nine. Oh, okay. And it's not even a character from Next Generation. They, they, I don't think Picard and Seven and Nine have ever had a scene together, except for this would be their first one in this episode. Yeah. But yeah, because she's from Voyager, right? Correct. Correct. Which yeah. is the which is in the future, right? From. No, no. Voyager takes place the same time as Picard. I mean, she would exist in Picard's time frame. It's just when uh, they never bumped into Picard and things because of course on their very first adventure together on Voyager or whatever it got thrown way across the universe or and and or the galaxy. Delta quadrant, beta quadrant. I can't yeah, something like that. Some <laughs> other quadrant. And then the whole thing of this the series was them trying to get their way back home. Um and uh um what one of one of the jokes people make about uh, there's memes out there of Janeway and how mad she is when she discovers that, you know, a hundred years before she gets lost in the beta quadrant for seven years or whatever, that there was a spore drive that could have got her right back home if they just <laughs> had the technology and would have kept the technology going. It's like, but but uh, she didn't get a chance to have that technology at the time. So, um, yeah, anyway, but, but she was one of the most enjoyed characters from that series, um, which is humorous because she, she was a late addition to the series. She was like one of those characters you throw in to help ratings and things like a third season or second. I don't know what season she was thrown in, but she was never really felt accepted by the cast, the actress herself. And even, uh, and definitely not by Janeway because, because the actress that played Janeway did 
felt kind of threatened by her and like it belittled the show and her whole reason to be there was essentially to be a sex symbol. They had her in the ultra tight outfits and all of that sort of thing. So she just feels like bringing things to the show. So the actress will say she doesn't have the best of recollections of being on the series. It was okay. It was good for her as an actress to be seen and to be in a series, but it wasn't, the most friendly uh, reception she got by being on the series. And she said it warmed up over time, but it was never great. And then she'd been on other series since that and which were much better. But she said this time going back, she feels totally welcomed by the cast, totally welcomed by, by uh, Patrick Stewart. She feels like it's a great situation and she wants to come back for the second season. So we'll see if she does or not. Yeah. She thought of her character as a strong female role model, not right. super sexualized. And then they bring in Jerry Ryan, who obviously, and yeah, she didn't like that. Yeah. Daryl said ruined the, you know, that strong female role, watered it down. Well, she's kind of like um, a sexy undercutting. Spock. Yeah, yeah. In some ways, I mean, that is like is like how uh, um, in the beginning how uh, Shatner felt about Spock character. He felt like Shatner was supposed to be the center of the show, but Spock was getting all the attention. Um, you know, we grok Spock yep. and all of that sort of thing. But he, but he did come around. I mean, I mean, Shatner came around by the second season or so, and they became tighter as actors. But um, I don't think Janeway ever really came around too much or that. I guess they did later after the show was over. She yeah. realized she's kind of blaming Jerry Ryan for something that she didn't. I mean, it wasn't her who wrote the script, right? No, right. It could have been. They, they were going to bring in someone to play that part, and they were going to bring in someone that was sexy to play that part. So we would have Jerry Ryan or anybody else. It wasn't like it wasn't going to happen if it wasn't Jerry Ryan. So, so yeah, I, I, I get the feeling they buried the hatchet, but after the show was over, like when they were going to conventions and things, I think is yeah. what and I heard that too, that Shatner would re-block scenes to get more screen time because yes. he was surprised that, that Nimoy was actually more popular, mm-hmm. which I guess made uh, George Takai not too happy. <laughs> well, I, Takai's quotes about Shatner are the best. I mean, he's like, he talks about later on, like running the Shatner or whatever, and is like, I don't think he ever even knew my name when I was on the show. Certainly didn't know my name when I was off the show. And he's like, he didn't know. He thought of us as we come on for a day or two each week and do our parts, which they did. And then they're gone. And he just thought that they were essentially glorified extras. And uh, for them, they felt like they were part of the crew and, and part of the show. And yeah. Yeah. So, so that was uh, for, from Shatner's point of view, the show was Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner, and DeForest Kelly, and everybody else was extras. And that just set wrong with everybody else for years. And, uh, you know, Shatner eventually kind of fessed up to it over time and tried to make reparations as best he, ca- he could, but, you know, he didn't treat people very well. <laughs> I don't know. I mean... Sulu and Chekhov, they really had kind of bit parts, you know, you know, even Ohura. I'm not saying they didn't. (laughs) Yeah, you know, even Ohura had, I think, had a bigger part to the show or 
or Scotty, you know, I think they had bigger parts than, than Chekhov and Sulu. Chekhov and Sulu, for, for the most part, sat at that console. Hi, Captain Warp 7, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, they, they could have been replaced probably with just about anybody, and, and people probably wouldn't have noticed so much. Well, and awkwardly, they often were. Sometimes you'd look over and next to Chekhov would be some unknown guy that you've never seen before. And sometimes yeah, next to Sulu yeah. would be some unknown guy. They never really explained over time why they, I think they were all sort of had a certain amount of episodes they were contracted to be in. And so I don't think they wanted to have them be in more than that. They didn't want them to get paid, you know, ridiculous amount. So I think they did just just use uh, random people to replace them in certain episodes, which made them really seem... But some, somehow, though, in the long run, they come out as crew members. I don't know how. Right. Right. More than some of the guys that would just like show up, like you said, randomly and press buttons. Yeah. It's like, what, the, what, where's well, Probably because they had some actual lines every once in a while. <laughs> and then, Where the, the other guy pressing random buttons would just sit there and press buttons. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. Now, has got that one scene and was it a map, a mock time or? No, no. I think I think you're talking naked now when he's got the the when he's got his shirt off and he's got the the yeah. fencing sword and yeah. What does this have to do with Picard? Nothing. Well, yeah. Star Trek history. So. Oh, okay. Let's get yeah. back on subject. But let's 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 steer it back to Picard. Thank you, Jim. Um, what? Because well, I'm not I'm not sure where we stand with this series so far. Um, I know, I know Bob and I really like the first two episodes. I know, uh, I, don't, I don't know where we are with the third and fourth, how much we've enjoyed them. I know Jim hasn't been around for a few weeks to talk about it. So, so what are you guys' feelings about Picard as a general series so far? Is it going where you wanted it to go? Is it hitting the right beats for you? Or what do you think? I think it's, it's kind of slow. It's... Uh... You know, I've I've seen the whole thing already, and yeah. it 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 was okay to watch, but I'm not. You know, it's like wow, I gotta tune in next week and see what's going gonna happen. Right. You know, it, it didn't have that effect on me. No, and I'd say it suffers. We were talking about uh, Falcon Winter Soldier earlier because we do a podcast about that too. I'm sure some of you heard that. Anyway. Um, we were sort of saying the same thing about the first three episodes of that series where it wasn't making you feel like you had to come back and watch the next one. And, and until all of a sudden the fourth episodes really caught on um, with this series too. Uh, I kind of, with the first, after I watched the first episode, I definitely wanted to see the next episode because I thought the first one was really good. And the second episode was pretty good. And I enjoyed that. The third one kind of slowed down for me and I didn't, I don't know. It just kind of started to lose a little bit of interest in the series at that point. This fourth one is better, but I, I still don't know. Um, Bob, where, where are you at with the series? I think you're enjoying it more than either Jim or I have, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I like the series. I mean, if we can go back to to uh, discover if you want, but I'm going to keep watching. I think I'll finish it out at some point. Well, I I'd say, I don't know, Jim, where, where are you at with this? Are you okay if we just keep going with Picard then? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Since you've already watched all the Discovery season three anyway, so going through that will be a rehash anyway. So, yeah, I'd say let's just keep going with Picard. And actually, I, I don't know where Jim is. I, th I think Jim's where he's tolerating it again. No, no, I see you, Jim. No, oh, I'm okay. mentally where you're I wasn't right. sure if I was in melting that, into the background of the, the picture here. <laughs> 
in that I'm enjoying it even more. I think this second time through than I did the first time through. So I, I'm I'm I, I'm liking the episodes. So uh, I got to say I'm happy with them. I think the first time through. I just didn't know where it was going and every episode was like a surprise and I'm like, okay, well, where's this one going? And uh, I, I think certainly for me as a fan of the, of the whole Star Trek multi, all the series of Star Trek universe, I guess I should say, seeing Jerry Ryan pop up at the end was like, oh, that's really cool that they have Jerry Ryan and she looked really good and yet she seems more, um, what, visceral or more... Um, feral than she used to or something there's something about her that has more of an edge and so i liked that uh since she showed up and that will i mean not to give too much away but that's going to continue through the series that she's this different version take on her character that i really 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 like um, i think that edge comes from because you know i get the impression that she's been kind of fighting for her existence and 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 that type of thing constantly you know it's not like when she was on the voyager and and was just you know riding along and they just had their scenes or whatever they were doing right you know places where they go from one to another it's like now she's like you know really like everyday battle for existence and and that type of thing yep I, i think so and i think it's so interesting having her come back as they're dealing with this new version of the Borg that we sort of have going on in the background too. Not that Picard's like dealt with much yet or anything, but, but we definitely have uh, uh, the character um, who's, who's the one that's Dodge's sister. Soji. That we've that we have Soji going on over there with, with, with them. And um so yeah, I, I think it was a great time to bring her back. She was a great character to bring back. And it shows, which I really like, we're not just going to go, oh, this is just to please fans and we're going to bring back characters like Geordi or, or War for something from Next Gen. Because if it's truly a universe, you're going to bump into people. You're, you're as likely to bump into Seven of Nine as you are to bump into War, right? they live in this universe you might you might bump into either one of them so i think that's kind of cool the way they do that um, i still i guess i haven't seen discovery i don't know how it ties in i have no you say it ties in i guess i'll have to trust you oh for, for this uh discovery the season three i mean you'll you'll see yes yes it's just the 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 backstory it's one episode yeah it's just the backstory of these these Romulan women, this this group of Romulan women soldiers, because they they come into play in in Discovery as well. Mm -hmm. And like I say, it's not a huge thing, but when you hit it, you're going to go, okay, I'm glad we watched the order we did, I think, because Bob likes to connect dots together, and I think this will connect. Well, and 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 you'll know who they they are, you know, because when when I saw it, it took me a while, it's like, oh yeah, okay, so those are the, the group that was from but you Picard. did see Picard first, right? Yeah. It just took you a while to really, oh, okay, that's the same. I, I told yeah, you. Yes, I thought that's But if you imagined, if you were watching it without ever watching the Picard episode, without ever seeing this episode, you would have been more lost as to, well, who? What yeah, they, what they even yeah they didn't really go into their backstory or, or, you know, who they were, really. It was, they kind of just mentioned them and then it was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so you just had to kind of shrug it off and go, oh, okay, this is just something else we don't know about. When in reality, 
if you watch this series, you kind of do a little more, know a little bit more about it. No, and I liked, I, I enjoyed the fight scene in this episode. I enjoyed uh, the character. I enjoyed the, I really enjoyed Picard in that they showed you specifically, here's a shortcoming of Picard. Here's where he left people behind, didn't follow through with something he said he was going to follow through on, did this thing. And he's not a perfect human being. I think so often we get our captains or all any of the characters in Star Trek as these perfect people that make perfect choices all the time. And so having someone that, that is dealing with ramifications from, for the choices he made, um, I think is, is good. And, and it's not like he necessarily could, I think if he went back, he'd make, he'd do the same thing again. He was doing what was right for more people or whatever he was doing. Um, he was trying to make the best choices he could, but sometimes you let people down when you make a, a choice or, or decide where to put your energy and it's not where they think you should have put your energy. And well, I think a lot of that hit had to do, I mean, he had kind of the, the falling out during that whole time with Starfleet and, yes. and, and that type of thing. So I think that kind of prevented him from finishing and doing what he was wanting to do. So it right. wasn't necessarily you know just him not following up it's like he was kind of prevented from it because of starfleet's decisions that created a rift between him and starfleet i have one thing to say to that not good enough damn it not good enough (laughs) (laughs) no but i I, i'm so glad bob's doing this series i i thought i was like he might enjoy this more than discovery and I, I truly think he has so that's great bob that you like it so much and i do think for fans of if you're a really big fan of any of the old series i think this one probably does more for you than discovery i can see that discovery is quite a bit of a leap away from traditional star trek in certain ways uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see what the new series with pike is going to be like because they certainly are making it sound like it's going to be the closest to the old series than of the original series that anything's ever been or attempted. So we shall see. Um, and, and whether that's even enjoyable or successful, I, I have no idea, but it would think it would work if, if they hit the right notes. It's just, I think it'd be a lot harder to write because where this series, you've got essentially this, some Romulan stuff thrown in. You got you got all these flavors thrown in, but essentially you're dealing with this Borg sort of situation, and and it's it's kind of going to be sort of you're you're dealing with with the history of, of data, and that's sort of your driving force of this series. And with Discovery, they have like an arc for the whole season with some individual sort of things going on if every episode has to be a completely different concept than the last episode and you're like the old series, you're going, okay, we're going to have this robot that takes over the ship and this thing's going to happen. And now we're going to run into these people and this adventure is going to happen. It just seems a lot harder for writers to come up with something exciting every week that's going to happen. But um, they to do it back in the day for 26 or 36 episodes or whatever the heck they had a season and now it's only going to be 15 so you think you could pull it off they're going to bring back the doomsday machine the giant space amoeba well that's um, the other side 
it's like how much do you feature that kind of stuff how much i mean because you could easily make it really derivative and go oh we'll just bump into this thing earlier than they did on the other series oh look they're going to run into the doomsday machine and oh they're going to run into this and oh now they're um so it's like how much do you play with the things people know and how much do you try and i mean it's called strange new worlds is the name of the series so you would think they would be trying as much as they could to introduce us to new people instead of just the Klingons and the Romulans over and over again. They can't run into the doomsday machine. Yeah. It's just yeah, the because second, ver- second version of it. Like there's tens of those right, running around the galaxy. Well, they'd have to be the first version of it because, <laughs> and, and then Spock would have to like, I guess be sick and locked in his quarters and not know what's going on because when they see it with, with Kirk, and the Enterprise later, you know, it's like he doesn't go, oh, yeah, we, I know what we need to do with this one. We've, we've seen this before. Yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't have that. So I'm, guess, I'm guessing that uh, they probably right. won't run into very many things that they didn't, that they did before. Well, one, if they run into something that they've run into, that they, that they say on the other series they haven't run into, like they'll say, well, for instance, Romulans. They say in the other series, when they first run into the Romulans, they say, oh, this is, uh, we haven't seen these people had any interaction with them in a hundred years. Years. Right. So if they run into them, they have to have some reason to not put it in their logs, to not record this meeting, which they can do, but it's always a little dicey. And then on top of it, like you say, you essentially have to have Spock on some other mission or something where he does never gets a chance to meet these people because otherwise he's going to remember it. So you, you get into these areas that are pretty dicey and, and how are you going to pull this off? I think just got to be plenty of scripts they can write. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I truly think they're, they're not going to do that anyway. I mean, maybe once per season you do a kind of a fun little reach back thing to, to something from, from the original Star Trek series, but generally you're going to get seen as very derivative if you do very much of that. And so I, the challenge for me as a writer, if I was writing it, would be let's not do that. Let's try and find new things that we can introduce. Or, um, you know, be, it, you could do the ones you could reach across to are, are things like the Gorn, because they've never done anything in the original series with the Gorn, never really played much of it up. I don't think they said that they've never seen the Gorn or anything, really. But uh, so there's certain ones you can play with, but I'd rather have some new group of aliens we've never seen before, never heard of, and make them interesting and different. And- that would be interesting in itself just to see how they get around the guy in the suit. Like, because like the Klingons from like Discovery are kind of over the top, but what were they going to do with the Gorn, right? Yeah, they, they featured the Gorn in. Enterprise, I believe. I'm pretty sure that there was an episode that had the Gorn in, in Enterprise or some one of the series, and they were of course CGI that they did them, and they made them more reptilian a little bit and things. But you could definitely see the tie-in. They did, I, I thought, a pretty decent job of it. Look more like sleeve stacks. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the corn actually was a little more realistic than these stacks. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think they had the same eyes, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
these sparkly sort of Christmas balls that you put in your <laughs> eyes. <laughs> I'm sure that's what they were. I have these ornaments that would look great inside. Let's use those. All right. Glue them in. <laughs> now, now the thing, the thing with Picard though is it it winds up in a place where at, at this point you have no idea that it's even going. Correct. So, Agreed. You know, so that's that that's that's kind of an interesting, you know, change. You think your story's going way one way, and then it's going to be completely different than the way you think. That's that is one hundred percent true. It is it is a hard one to to uh, yeah. It it is not linear in its path at all. It it goes to un areas you're not real. I mean, they do kind of tie it all together, sort of at the end, but it it. There's yeah. nothing predictable like it is in, in Discovery where you can kind of see where the, it's progressing and probably where it's going to end up. So, yeah. 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 But I think that's one of the things I like about Picard. I think. On the other hand, it sort of makes it, gives it this disjointed feel as well that makes it be where more of the episodes, I think you can kind of go, well, where'd this go? Or uh, where's, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. We'll see as we go on. I mean, because... Because I think Jim's, I don't know, did you see the original arc when you watched it? I mean, did you think the end was like better than the middle? Did you feel like it sagged or did you feel like it just kind of stayed? I, I, I like the end. I, I, like, yeah. I like what they did with the end. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's, I feel like if you pull off the end of these things, you're in pretty good shape. It's awful nice if you can make the middle decent too. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, it's, it's like the the whole falcon winter soldier i mean it, it it just we were saying from episode four on it really took off and um so often that's with discovery too it has these sags in the middle a little bit and then the last five episodes four episodes are usually pretty darn good of, of discovery any given season um, so yeah anyway anything more we have to say about picard or anything no um, I'm really looking forward. I'm not sure if it's next week or the week after that, but anyway, coming up here soon on Picard, there's a great episode with some really fun callbacks, but uh, we'll leave that for you for later days. Hey nerds, I am Will Wheaton. Welcome to the Ready Room, your official behind the scenes hub for all things in the Star Trek universe. As always, today we will be getting deep into spoiler territory for Star Trek Picard. So, if you have not yet watched Episode 4, Absolute Candor, be sure to watch that first. Or don't. Your personal viewing experience has no direct impact on my life or the universe at large. That's a fun reference for those of you who have already seen the episode. You all know that was me doing my best Quat Malad impression. All right, today I get to talk with Santiago Cabrera, who is La Serena's Captain Cristobal Chris Rios. Then a little later, we have a brand new exclusive clip from next week's episode of Picard. But first, let's take a closer look at the Picard crew's newest member, Elnor, and his all-female Romulan sect. Control room, engage. What made you decide to bind yourself to my cause? It met the requirements for worthiness. And it seemed like you needed me after all. What is the requirement for worthiness? A Galankai will only bind herself, himself, to a lost cause. Elnor was a, a young boy 
who was one of the Romulans who was relocated to planet Vashti. He was raised in a sect known as the uh, Kuat-Malat. It's an all-female sect. And the Kuat-Malat is a sect of Romulan warrior nuns who subscribe to a life of absolute candor, meaning you can never lie, you always tell the truth, you live everything in the moment in the deepest possible way. He's very innocent. He doesn't know how to lie. It's not that he doesn't lie, it's just that growing up in the sect they're taught to always tell the truth. And that's kind of the difference between him and every other Romulan. And Picard, in relocating the Kuat-Malat to Vashti, formed a bond with this very young boy. It was meant to be kind of temporary that he lived there, and then as soon as the attack on Mars and everything happened, Picard kind of abandoned him. What do you mean, sense of attack Mars? And it's in the middle of this relocation and in the middle of this burgeoning relationship between the two that Picard is called away because of the attack on Mars and ends up never actually going back to Vashti and this young boy essentially feels abandoned by Picard, even though Picard didn't have much of a choice. He's kind of the only male figure I really knew growing up, so I guess it's more than just like a ward or a bodyguard. Elnor kind of views Picard as his father. It's unique and interesting because Picard himself never really had a son, so obviously Elnor in some ways was the closest he ever got to that. And the other thing about the Kuat-Malat is they're, they're trained not only in the discipline of radical candor, but they're probably the single greatest combat fighters in the universe. He's pretty good at hand-to-hand -hand combat, pretty good with a sword. When Picard goes on his mission, the first thing he does is he goes to find Elnor, who's now a man, and he knows that as an older man who's slowed down quite a bit, he needs a young man's fists. He knows he needs a gunslinger who happens to be his old friend. And their relationship's very complicated because Elnor's still angry about being abandoned. And Picard and Elnor have to work through that. Right now, I am joined by Star Trek Picard's own crystal ball, Rios Santiago Cabrera. We have a lot to talk about. So. Yes, we do. <laughs> so let's get started. Um, I want to start uh, at the moment we meet Rios. We see him on the bridge of his ship, and uh, he has an enormous piece of metal sticking out of his shoulder. He has clearly been involved in action, and very recently. Yeah. Uh, did, did you develop some story about that, or is it just a thing that you decided, you know what, it is what it is? Uh, I had multiple backstories. I kind of stuck with one in my head. I, I discussed it with... Um, with Akiva and with Michael beforehand, and uh, but uh, but then we came to the conclusion: why do you know? Do we need to explain this? It's like a lot of things are best left unexplained. I find. What happened to you? I didn't die. I love those moments where we meet a character and we learn so much about the character before a single word of dialogue is ever said. Yeah, and I, I got that from that moment. That's great. I love to hear that because I, I I agree. I think you know you know being able to reveal a character trait without having to say anything is just uh, is just the best way to do it. So I love that you immediately get a sense of of this guy, with you know in that first in that first image. So um, I'm glad it works. So I'm glad to hear that. And it tells us a little bit about the world too. It says this world is unbelievably dangerous. Yeah, yeah. and this is not the clean sort of like spandex pajamas world of Star Trek: The Next Generation. This is a dirty world where yeah. bad stuff happens. It's true, it's true. Um, Rios appears to be a former Starfleet officer. Yes, he is. He is a former Starfleet officer. And, um, uh, you know, but he's got 
kind of a beef with Starfleet because he, he, he's, it's a very traumatic event in his past which would be, will be revealed in later episodes. Oh, that's that great! Man. Yes, that, uh, that's the reason why he left uh, Starfleet. Yeah. I feel like he sort of has something in common with Picard, that he is sympathetic to Picard because of that shared background. Uh, did, you, did, you, did you work on that at all? Did, did well, you there's a reference that? to, uh, I haven't seen, you know, there was a reference to the fact that he says, I've read one of your books to Picard. I mean, I think if you, if you grow up and you're you're a staff and you're in Starfleet, you will know who Picard uh, was. You will have you know of heard of him. You they, you would have read his texts and maybe he would have even come in for some you know lectures and stuff. So uh, I, he didn't know him personally, but he was very aware of who he was. And I, I think there is that, res that definitely that respect. But I think he doesn't know him yet for the man that he is. I think at the beginning for for Rios Picard is the embodiment of Starfleet, uh, uh, an institution that he's been disillusioned with. So there is that kind of that kind of uh, reticence to to go there with this man, you know, because um, because he kind of has been wanting to separate himself from from that. He doesn't want to go back to that part in his, you know, that stage in his life. So uh, so I think it, it makes for an interesting beginning, you know, because it, it leaves room for for him to then discover the man himself. Does Picard maybe represent to him what he has lost by leaving Starfleet? I think he can because in a way he doesn't know that big decisions were made, you know, from the people uh, above, and and uh, and uh, he doesn't know if even Picard knew any about this, had anything to do with what was his own traumatic event. And at the same time, I think it's a reminder of the of who he could have been, because I think Rios was, you know, was a young prodigy himself that would his life was going in that direction where he would have been a, a Starfleet captain, but things took a turn, and now he's out. You know, out just wandering in his uh, in his own ship. So, uh, so it's 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 a life that could have been but didn't happen. So there's a big disillusionment there, I think, which adds to his sort of his, uh, his the demons inside of him. The, that comes through very clearly in like just there is there is a deep current of pain that kind of runs through him that that I get from from like every. It, Second of film. Oh, great! <laughs> he just, right. he just. You feels... see more than me, so that's good to hear. <laughs> he yeah. just, he feels, he feels like someone who is wrestling with something that is much bigger than him. That's that's very true, and I think that's very true for most of us, especially all of the new characters, and uh, because, and and which makes you know, which is kind of, give, really is in the spirit of this show. You know, it's like a, a bunch of outcasts and misfits in their own way, you know, so that are kind of lost souls. So when they come together, you kind of, they, 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 they in a way, sort of depend on each other and need each other. I need a pilot. Rafi says you're the best around. I never argue with Rafi. <laughs> Wise man. Rios is connected to Picard through Rafi. Yes. And he clearly, Rios clearly has history with Rafi. Would you yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, they with Rafi. It's you know, and with Michelle, we had that right off the bat, and and I and it's they're just kindred spirits in a way. I think they just they're, it's almost that brother sister relationship. They're just super tight, super easy with each other. They mm -hmm. probably don't talk about too many things, but when they need to, they will. They're there for each other, you know. And you will see it in, again in future episodes where they each have very vulnerable moments, and they're and they're there for for, for each other. Yeah, and they're, they're huge support systems. And then Rafi gives him work because she um, hooked him up. You know, she probably knows Rios needs needs the gig. You know, needs oh sure, of course. So she sends Picard to Rios because he's someone, and she knows she can trust him, and that he's ultimately a great pilot. So. Uh, and they probably, you know, I think they share they share a troubled history, troubled past. I, mm -hmm. I think those two have gotten drunk together many a time, you know, and uh, and uh, and they've kind of both they both have 
a dark history with, with what was their home, which was Starfleet. So I think they, they share a lot, yeah. Did the showrunners give you explicit backstory for the relationship? Did you work on that with Michelle or did you sort of come up with that on your own? I think it's a combination of, of everything. There's, yeah. uh, but mainly, you know, with Michelle, we had some conversations at the top for sure. And then a lot of it was just a natural, easy falling into it. And then a lot of it you discover as you go along, you start to kind of find little things. And then what they write, those hints are also in the future episodes that you start to kind of, you know, realize how, how deep it goes or how far back it goes. But, uh, but I think definitely we were both, uh, we both immediately came, you know, to the agreement and to kind of build that backstory that it was, it, we went way back and we were like t really close friends. Rio strikes me as a guy who maybe prefers to work alone. Absolutely. He's definitely a, a lone wolf type. Yeah. So uh, now he has people on his ship. Yeah. He's about to have a Borg on, yeah. on his ship. Uh, how does he feel about uh, about all of that? I think it's like, I, I love the sort of, uh, you know, the juxtaposition of it. I, I think in a way he's he's pissed. He doesn't want people. He's like, it's like what are these people doing on my ship? You know? Right. But, but at the same time, he probably, there's some sort of, there's something exciting about being on a mission again and, and having, you know, that human contact. Yeah. So I think it's, it's it's like he's used to being doing things his own way and you know and 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 having thing being able to 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 do whatever he wants on a ship and have that freedom uh so i think there's definitely an element of like why am i cuz i think it was supposed to just be Picard and then suddenly <laughs> everyone starts jumping all these on board. all these new people on so, his ship yeah. Yeah. i did try to sort of play with that at, at the top for sure of like you know why why are all these people on the ship but then but then at the same time there's probably like a dependency on it where he he would never admit it but uh, but I think he kind of kind of likes it. You carry him with this wonderful sense of ownership of his ship, and oh, and right. and and it like. Did you get to know the environment beforehand? Did you spend yeah. some time walking around, like sort of like getting getting familiar with the with the set? Um, I did for sure. I went every time I went for you know those initial pre-production things where you go for for a wardrobe fitting and, and makeup and hair and all that. I made sure to go to the studio and to the, uh, where the, they were building it, but it yeah. was to, and then just walk around, sit there. And there was a couple of times where I knew I had a, a two hours or three hours to spare, and instead of reading a script in my trailer, I'd go and sit on the captain's chair and, that is so and just cool. read the script there. And so it was, yeah, I just wanted to feel familiar. And actually, Jonathan Frakes was great, because even though I, 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 um, I had my initial scene with Hannah Lee, my, my first sort of, when I got busy, when I had the big body of work was in, in Jonathan's episodes, because I appear at at the end of the first section, yeah, and him having such ownership of Star Trek, he was he was someone I could ask questions about, and we really talked about wanting to use the space uh, so that we this we know it's his home, so that he's familiar with it, and just like be able to sort of like introduce that sense that this is his house, this is he owns it, and 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 and, and yeah, use use the space as much as possible. It really clearly comes across. Uh, I like that a lot. Your ship, the La Serena, comes equipped with several of these uh, EMHs. Yeah. Uh, and you get to play all of them. The navigation sensors are back at maximum range. Whatever it was, it scraped off pretty easily. You are an emergency hologram. We no longer have a navigational emergency. Why are you still here? Well, someone is experiencing an acute moodiness overload. Two questions. How many are there? Uh, and uh, uh, are you a fan of Orphan Black? 
I am. <laughs> I, think she's, I think she's fantastic in that show. Because yeah. when I saw you playing those different characters, yeah. that's what I thought. It was like, oh, There's you're playing your clones. So yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Uh, would you talk a little bit about bringing these different EMHs to life? Yeah. Well, EMH is specific to the medical. So in a way, they're, they're different EHs, which is the emergency holograms. So, oh, okay. So EMH is the emergency medical hologram. Oh, and, and then ETH, and then, right? Emmett is the the one we meet in episode four in the in the in the in the fight with a with a bird of prey, right? Yeah. That's um, he's tactical and security. Okay. And uh, and we we might meet a couple a couple more, but uh, but uh, they're so much fun. It's so much fun to, right. to to play it. It's like you know, it's it's like an actor's dream to kind of play as many diverse roles as, po as possible and to be able to do it all all at once. And very much in the spirit of of Star Trek and things you've seen on, on in Star Trek in the past, but, but original, but its own thing as well. So I just love doing it. Uh, and what I really, apart from the, how much fun it is and how I, I knew it was something, it was going to be a challenge, but something that I could that I could hopefully pull off. The real hook was, you know, because it had to have substance. It, yes. And what what was there, and we discussed this with uh, with uh, Michael and Akiva, was the 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 psychology behind a man that's kind of got versions of himself on a ship and and it's like this lonely figure but who kind of needs to relate to these people and i loved that as much as possible we try to bring in the banter of it's like he hates them he just tells them to you know like like you know deactivate and throws them away but really he needs them and he depends on them so yeah I, you know i imagine rio sort of like calling them in to you know sometimes to have candid conversations and then as soon as he doesn't want to hear something anymore he just kind of gets rid of them but uh, but yeah, that for me says a lot about him as well. It's like there's it does. It's weird, <laughs> and I love that. I love that sort of like aspect of it. Yeah. Did you have any tricks uh, that you leaned on to keep them separate in your head or to yeah, give them I, distinctive personalities? Yes, I definitely had. You know, a different. Uh, obviously, the the accents helped. That was a sort of a technical thing. But then the I was very clear of where the voice you know was placed. Uh, uh, you know, for some of them a bit more nasal or a bit more grounded, and then. Yeah. And then I had a, a reference, like a mental image of, of a person for each for each one. Um, I, uh, you know, when I worked on Next Generation, uh, some of my fondest memories are the long late nights on the bridge. Right. So we would just be there with the blue screen in, and we're like grabbing plates for tons of things all at one time, and yeah. then we're we're moved around and all that, and. Uh, there's a great moment in, uh, in, in and I, I, I can't remember if it's in this episode, but there's this great moment where Picard assumes the role of captain and he's trying yeah. to like be the captain yeah. and Rios is like, excuse me, this is my ship. Yeah, yeah. Um, you told me when we sat down that you had watched some of Star Trek, oh, that you yeah. watched Next Generation. Yeah. We know for Rios that Picard is, is someone that, that he knows. Uh, uh, was 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 that moment was like did you the, the part of you that's an actor and the part of you that's the character did they collide at all? They they did yeah because you know it's like it's already intimidating enough to to meet Patrick Stewart and work with him and everything and then yeah. you kind of you got the chair and he hasn't so there's yeah. that thing of like you got to own it but by the end of it it became just a joke with Patrick we would do these things where where the chair was there, and then the, there was a scene where we had, both had to walk to the chair, so, you know, we'd do the funny take where some, I just kind of run oh, and make sure I grab the seat. And, uh, or he'd be standing next to me sometimes, and I'd just go, you miss it? You want to you wanna sit here? You know, so, and he would chuckle. 
But, uh, but I think that's such a, it's such a, a great element for this. It says so much about Picard and where he is today. And, you know, really the, what I loved about the show and the premise is that it is in real time and it's 20 years later and it's a different Picard. So I think it, it just adds to mu so much to, to the show, to his story, and it reveals so much character from his point of view that it was, it was super important for, for this to be the dynamic. So, um, so uh, again, one of those things that says so much without having to, yeah. to explain it, you know? Um, your, your ship is so different from ours. And yeah. the, the technology that drives your ship is so different from ours. You do a ton of what is basically improv space work, yeah. driving things. Uh, did, did you, we never got instruction. Like no one ever came down and said, this is how the ship works, right? Yeah. I made that up, Brent Spiner made up how his thing worked. Do you have controls? Do you have commands? Well, that was one of the advantages of being able to watch your show and uh, and kind of, because normally, you know, you play a pilot on something, at least I would, you know, go and try and get up in the air on a plane and meet pilots and sort of like fly, you know? Yeah, like sure. In the cockpit, I would. But here it's like, what are you going to do? You kind of, you, you can't fly a spaceship. So, uh, yeah. so uh, I just watched the show. I was paying attention to how things were, how the ship was being flown. I was like, some controls would be, nice because if if he is you know like his his kind of you know his mark is that he's a pilot it would be nice to have something and we would the effects guy were there all the time so yeah. we would discuss it at length and then i had specific moves that you know like every time we take off i i, I had i made up some specific me too things, you know? yeah, you to, right? <laughs> it's so fun yeah, right so fun. yeah but i always keep saying because we had this hollow thing i keep saying they're messing with me man they're not because every time i do adr the the hollows still aren't I know. So I'm just doing this. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you guys made it look so so natural as well. I can I can imagine that you had you know like sort of routines and patterns because it felt very very real and like like you, you you every time you watch it, it's like you guys know what you're doing. I don't know if anybody else did it the same way that I did, but like I'm just a nerd and I love Star Trek, so yeah. it was really important to me. Oh yeah. This is how we go to warp speed. This is how we go into orbit. This is how we go into the other kind of orbit. Like you yeah. know that's just. That's did what you I have did. like a a mental map of space, a geography as well? Always. Yeah, completely. I have, Always. Yeah, I'm I, constantly I, thinking about where we are in relation to the other ship. Yeah, completely. And, uh, you got to do some of that with this incredible dogfight sequence. Yeah. Uh, right. When the bird of prey comes in, that was such a cool experience. And early in the show, when they say bird of prey, I thought Klingon bird of prey. I didn't think Romulan bird of prey. Right. Which is silly, because everything's Romulans. Yeah. But that was such a cool reveal. Uh, yeah. I'm guessing that you guys got to do some of the stuff we used to do with the 10-point scale of shake. Well, yeah, and, uh, it was it was Frank's directing that episode, so he, yeah. that's when we were introduced to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was uh, we got a, a master class of, of uh, Star of Star, yeah. Star Trek shaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. There's not a lot of us. There's like fewer than a hundred of us in the world. Yeah. Uh, who who knows what that means? And I love the, the also like uh, when I watched it like Patrick the Picards. Everyone would do like their own kind of shakes, but Patrick was always just it was just like a little a little step back. Like a man who's been through it a million times before. Yeah. Yeah, it was such a cool sort of little little like never faced, you know. Yeah. So I stole a bit of that for 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 Rios. But of course, sometimes when it's a ten, it's a ten. Yeah, shake, of course. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, at the end of this episode, uh, we finish up this incredible dogfight. And uh, uh, Picard says, beam her on board. And it's seven of nine. Yeah. Uh, which, as fans, we knew was coming, but still is kind of an incredible moment it is, uh, yeah. in the show. Can you, without getting into spoilers, 
Can you tell us, is she going to be around? Is she going to be the big part of the story we all seem to think she is? I think it's safe to say she'll, she'll be around. You would, the way she's introduced, you would expect it. I think it would have been a huge disappointment to not... Uh, and yeah, but she's she's a it's it's a very different seven of nine. So it's like it's it's also you're kind of seeing her in, in real time as well. What what has she been through? You know what's 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 been her reality? So that's really interesting. You know to sort of uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a whole new side of her that we will we will see. Um, well, listen, I love him. I think he is going to be a beloved character in Star Trek oh. canon. Uh, and I'm just thrilled that you made time to come in and talk with me thank today. You. Thank great. you so very much. Thanks, and I'm thrilled to be part of Star Trek with you. Oh, thank you. I'm just, I'm great. I'm thrilled to meet you. And oh, that's you. so cool. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Thanks a lot. The Romulan Bird of Prey first appeared in which episode of Star Trek, the original series? A, the enemy within. B, the Corbomite maneuver. C, balance of terror. D, where no man has gone before. Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. Just like the world of Star Trek itself, the visual effects industry is always boldly going forward. Let's watch as VFX supervisor Jason Zimmerman walks us through some of the magic we've seen so far. So we definitely draw a lot of inspiration for Next Generation when we're working on Picard. Because it has existed before, we do need to go back to that to make sure that we're honoring canon and, and, and also to look at the effects, how things worked. I mean, obviously there's a little bit of a time jump between Next Generation and now, but there definitely is a lot of reference for us to go off of, and we definitely use that because it helps us in our design to make sure that we're honoring canon. There's definitely a challenge surrounding the Borg Cube or the artifact, in my opinion. And, you know, anytime in Star Trek you get to work on something that's such a beloved set or ship, it's very exciting. It's also very daunting because it has existed before and it's something that the fans are very, very passionate about. And it has such a legacy in entertainment. You know, how do you update it for today with today's visual effects technology and, and, and making it look as good as it possibly can while still honoring sort of the, the previous iterations, the previous versions of it. And so I think for us, the cube has been a challenge in the sense of getting it right, getting the textures right, making something that big look photoreal. Being able to establish scale with the board cube, especially when you're outside of it, is definitely challenging because sometimes in space, it's very hard to tell the, the relative size of objects especially when the cube is there, right, because it's miles. Being able to establish that scale and make something that looks like it's real has really been a challenge, but, but, but fun. It's exciting to work on, on, on something that's so iconic. I think some of our set extension stuff has been fun, especially when you're taking a set or location that is modern and trying to make it even more modern actually to exist in the future. A lot of that starts with removing what we see in our everyday. For Starfleet headquarters, it's San Francisco and there's the Golden Gate Bridge, which, you know, at the time with the shots that we had, had cars on the Golden Gate Bridge, there was gridlock, there were boats in the harbor. And so a lot of it starts with sort of removing those things or covering them up with our elements to make it look like future. And so for the bridge, we added uh, solar panels, for instance. You know, a lot of times there's things as simple as working on sets that already exist. There may be something where we're sort of affecting the walls. I mean, adding just the hologram into his study was a very, very quick way to show that although we're in these old time surroundings, we have the main technology for interface, for communications. His study ends up on the La Serena as sort of his holodeck slash quarters. And so there were times where we had blue screen out there and we had to actually put the ship out there in evidence when people would come and, and, and sort of leave to see him. 
So when we read the scripts, yeah, I think the first reaction is always a little bit of panic, a little bit of overwhelm. And then you go back through it and you start to sort of break it down into digestible steps. And then you start to reach out and exchange emails and, you know, discuss things in the different meetings of what, what do they have in mind for that? What's the effect they're thinking? Um, you know, what is production able to shoot, you know, both in terms of location or, or what they can build um, and sort of see how you fit into the, the world and how we can sort of help, you know, make it a reality. Everybody on the production has a job to do and, and it's to make this show as good as possible. And so you, you definitely collaborate on a daily basis with the DPs, costumes, production design, makeup effects especially. I mean, we all overlap quite a bit. I think keeping an eye on technology, certainly keeping an eye on what other people are doing, how they're executing things, helps you to sort of stay abreast of like what technology is doing, what is available to you, is there an easier way to do it, am I overthinking it, am I not thinking enough about it? So I think it's doing a lot of study and paying a lot of attention to what you did right and what you did wrong and learning from those things and sort of building off of that. Star Trek has always been one of the shows that pushes visual effects forward in television, in features and all that. That's a huge responsibility for you know us and our team and, and it's something that we, we really enjoy. Romulan Bird of Prey first appeared in which episode of Star Trek The Original Series? And the answer is C, Balance of Terror. In the Season 1 episode, the USS Enterprise encountered an errant bird of prey near the Romulan neutral zone. Still hungry for even more Star Trek Picard? Well, you're in luck, because it so happens that I have an all-new, never-before-seen clip from next week's episode ready to shove into your eye holes. You're welcome. Welcome, Captain Rios. I see your power conversion efficiency is only 91%. Remember, nobody knows the way around the Kaplan F-17 speed freighter like the Red Bull Wheel. Careful, Kappa. Join the party at the Freetown Grand Hotel afternoon high tea. Yeah, couldn't we go away? The Freetown Institute of Entertainment Robotics is now hiring. You have to punch him. What? Hit as hard as you can. I don't hit things. Oh, no, he's right, Doc. You need to knock his head clear off. Agnes for the knockout. <laughs> hey, lady, you looking to get snake bit? Slither into Feely's Venom Garden and pick your poison. I didn't get one. Thank you so much for spending a little time with me today here in the Ready Room. Next week, I am sitting down with Evan Evagora, who plays Elnor, the Romulan swashbuckler, to talk about episode five, Stardust City Rag. You guys, it is such a good episode. I cannot wait for you to see it. Until then, I am Will Wheaton. Live long. <laughs>